Na, 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 na. Dani Rojas, Rojas, Dani Rojas. Fútbol Américas is life. Wow, wow, mi Hercules, you've really outdone yourself here. Danny Rojas of Ted Lasso fame giving us the intro here on Football Americas. Herc, I knew you had a deep Rolodex. I didn't know it was that deep. Cristo Fernandez, my man. Did you know he played at Tecos? Did you know we have that in common? Tecolotes mm -hmm. for life. Thanks, Danny. I mean, I'm sorry, Cristo. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> Yeah, that's why the uh, soccer scenes there in Ted Lasso, of course, uh, look so realistic. Speaking of your deep Rolodex, you've used it to good effect on this show. We're going to hear from Leon Bailey, Jamaican international, a little bit later on. Of course, U.S. and Jamaica heading towards a quarterfinal showdown in the Gold Cup. Mexico in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup as well against Honduras. We're going to preview that. We're also going to preview the start of the Liga MX season. Some madness in Major League Soccer, Inter-Miami, more lowlights for them, and all of that, of course, available, Herc, as folks know, on the podcast, which you can find in the ESPN FC feed wherever you download your pods. Let's start the show, Herc, though, with the shocking news from not less than 24 hours ago. The United States women's national team losing 3-0 to Sweden in their Olympic opener. It snaps a 44-match unbeaten streak for the defending World Cup champions and the number one ranked team in the world, Herc. This was a surprise no matter how you break it down, Herc, what happened to the U.S.? Wow, what a beatdown. Not just a surprise, but they really took it to them. You know, when I was watching this game, I started concentrating a lot on the way that Sweden was attacking. The overloads on the flanks, and specifically, Crystal mm. Dunn's flank. The way they preoccupied her because of her importance going forward, where she was more worried about what was in behind her than what was in front of her, and their inability to keep the ball. They lost the ball in possession so cheaply. It was a team with no outlets. All of a sudden, no ability to breathe. And by breathe, I mean is when you have the ball, you can breathe. They teach you to rest while you have the ball because when you're not resting, you will be chasing the ball. Well, the U.S. Uh, women's national team did a lot of chasing against Sweden. A Sweden team that we have to give a lot of credit to, not your old Swedens, not those 4-4-2 Swedens, not the sit back and we're going to counter, we're going to make things very pragmatic. This is a team that was on the front foot and they took it down Crystal Dunn's flank. Two of the three goals came down that flank. Combinations, ball swung in, uh, the inability to deal with those crosses, and just the finishing ability of Sweden. It was a, a night like I've never seen for this women's national team. Mm. Don't like the targeting of Crystal Dunn, uh, but you're right, it was a lot of action down that flank for Sweden. I'll remind folks, Crystal Dunn, of course, was my number one yep. pick in the ESPN FC <laughs> Top 50 rankings. I will also remind folks that she's very much playing out of position. She's an attacking player doing everybody a favor by yeah. playing left back yeah. uh, for the United States women's national team. There's a couple other concerns for me, Herc, that come out of this. I think Vladko is a very good coach. I think he's really good at picking players. I think he's really good at developing players. I think he's really good at analyzing games. But one thing that, that coaches need in tournaments is the ability to make those in-game adjustments. Mm. And I don't know if you picked up on this or you felt this watching the USA-Sweden game. I felt like Sweden was on the front foot from the first minute, and that never, ever changed. That despite the fact that there were subs at halftime, there were changes throughout the match. Whatever Vladko Andonovsky tried didn't really seem to work because Sweden really, Herc, never let up momentum. They never let up momentum, which is strange when you think about the actual subs because you've got a player like Alex Morgan who has this incredible ability to stretch opponents. She's got innate ability to understand where the ball is going to be, make that run, beat you, get in behind you, and hurt you. So you have a player like that who didn't have any service in the first half, very limited in her touches, back to goal in her own half. You take her out at halftime and you put in a goal score. Yes, a goal score, but now in the 36-year-old range, who's not quite going to be that player who's going to run onto balls, maybe get in the end of things, uh, with a team that's still pressing you, with a team that's still playing with a high back line. So if you know they have a high back line and you know that there will be moments for you to probably counter and use pace because, like you said, Sweden never let up. If you know that's going to happen, why take Alex Morgan out? It was a bit of a head-scratcher for me. Yeah, that one was really surprising. Alex Morgan, not just coming off, but coming off at the half, right? 45 minutes in, that's a big, big decision for Vladko Andonovsky. And Herc, 
We, I don't know. Maybe you thought Alex Morgan really struggled in that first half. I didn't really think she struggled. Like I you didn't said, think it was on her. When you, when you yeah. think about who struggled or what they weren't good at, they weren't good at retaining possession. Mm-hmm. That's not on the nine playing by herself back to goal who's forced to defend in her own final third. That's more on the midfield. That's more on the outside backs. I've always been – look, this is my – my mantra is show me your outside backs and what they can do with the ball, and I'm going to show you how good I'm going to tell you how good your team can be going forward. Well, Sweden took that away from the women, for the mm. women's national, for the U.S. women's national team. They put the onus on the midfield to try to keep the ball, and they couldn't keep the ball. When Julie Ertz came on at halftime, a bit more of a physical presence that was sorely needed, and yes, more bites and you get more possession, but that was it. She was the only one. Uh, then all of a sudden it was Rose Lavelle, it was Julie Ertz trying to find outlets and trying to have players run onto it. But Sweden was so disciplined in the way they attacked that there were never any moments where they lost the ball that the U.S. can really hurt them. One more note on Alex Morgan. You had her to be golden boot yeah. at plus 600 before the tournament. Always think like managers got to keep strikers confident. We talked about Alex Morgan, who was coming in hot, scoring goals in the NWSL. How often did we see it at Euros where there were forwards on teams that were highly criticized? And in most cases, the big cases that I can think of, Spain, Italy, (laughs) England, the managers stuck with those forwards. They didn't pull them at 45. Uh, I think that that opens up some doubts for a player like Alex Morgan. That's not the start that you want if you're the U.S. women's team. Let me ask you about another player, Herc, one that wasn't in the starting lineup, and that's Megan Rapinoe. Do you agree with the decision to keep Megan Rapinoe out of the 11 against the Swedes? I don't. I don't, because you have to put your strongest team in the first game against Sweden, probably your strongest opponent that you'll face all tournament, if I'm being Mm -hmm. honest. Uh, Megan Rapinoe is such a good player, and if you feel that she can hurt the opponent, start her. Don't let her come in when she's cold. And by the way, she came in cold in those final 20 minutes and was the brightest spot the U.S. had. Constantly being a danger, put in a couple services that warranted much more than a post or much more than a close shot. And she made players around her better. Christian, uh, Christian Press, I'm sorry, was benefited by Megan Rapino being on the field. Megan Rapino is a playmaker. Megan Rapino was your golden boot last World Cup. She's one of the team leaders. I was really taken aback by the decision-making of Laco in this game. You, you spoke about it. The ability to in-game management, the, the Alex Morgan substitution, and now you kill your player confidently. One of the goal scorers of your team, you kill her confidence. Uh, and maybe unfairly, also Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino. Those were head-scratchers for me, and I think uh, moments that can cost the women's national team, the U.S. women's national team, mentally. I wonder, I wonder about rotation and how that factors into all this as we look at the U.S. 11 from the game against Sweden. You know, there are six games, Herc, in 17 days. So Vladko Anonofsky is thinking about kind of a lot of what's to come when he makes these decisions. The one thing I would say is a rotation has to work, right? If you, if you give players a rest, the other players have to step up and deliver you the results. The consequences of this mis- miscalculation, and that's what it is when it comes to the rotation, is that the U.S. probably won't win this group. And I said it on the last show, that sets up for a World Cup final rematch in the quarterfinals against the Dutch, who just had Vivian Miedema uh, drop four goals. So as we talk about this and we think about the tournament, wasn't it? (laughs) uh, My player to watch, my player to watch. Let me pat myself on the back. Um, (laughs) Let me ask you this, not necessarily like what changes would you make, but just generally as we talk about Vladko and Anofsky and we look at this lineup, after a 3-0 defeat, are you almost as a manager in a tournament setting just obligated to make some changes just for effect? Yes, you are, and also because I think the team looked a bit tired. Uh, but this mm. puts you behind the eight ball set because you go in with a certain game plan. This is my problem with coaches, with managers. All of a sudden, it's like they read Pep Guardiola is a different way of winning, and they try to get cute. I'm going to cater this game one way, and the next game it'll be this way, and I move the pawn and the pieces here, and we're going to be fine because we've got such a deep team, because we're on a 44-game uh, unbeaten streak because we're the best team in the world, and nothing is going to happen. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Okay, Mike Tyson said that, and it's so true. They just got punched in the face. What do you do that? What do you do now? The next game is a must-win game. So that goes out the window. You have to put in the team that you think is going to get you those three points. And next game, you worry about the next. But this is going to be a domino effect for this very, well, mature team going on into the quarters. Yeah, you said mature, and we talked a lot about the age leading up to this tournament, average age over 30. It's interesting that you mentioned that they were tired. What I think is the opposite of that is that if you're experienced, you should be able to handle difficult moments. And that's another thing that didn't happen in this game. Megan Rapino afterwards said they were tight. 
Mm-hmm. And they were nervous. When have you ever thought of the U.S. women's national team as nervous, Herc? It's true. But, you know, I'll tell you what, I've never seen the U.S. women's national team get bullied this way physically. Mm. O'Hara and Crystal Dunn, I mean, o- O'Hara was on the ground. I can't tell you how many times she was getting physically beat up. I've never seen a team manhandle physically the U.S. women like I saw Sweden. Sweden looked faster. They looked stronger and they mm. looked fresher. And you could tell. Yeah. When you say physically manhandled, too, we're also talking about the absence of Julie Ertz, right? Ertz yeah. is not 100 yeah. percent 90 minute fit. You saw the difference she made once she came on in the second half. But at the end of the day, if you don't have Julie Ertz, mm-hmm. it changes very much, I think, what the ceiling um, of this national team is. Speaking of the ceiling of this U.S. women's national team, are the expectations changed now? We'll discuss that a little bit later on. Let's move on to Mexico, who, uh, wow, talk about the opposite side of the spectrum, beat France 4-1 to one in the opener. Herc, this game 0-0 at the half, all five goals in the second half. Alexis Vega, Sebastián Córdoba, Uriel Antuna, and Eduardo Aguirre, the goal scorers from Mexico. André Pierre Gignac, the only goal scorer for France, and it came on a penalty. And honestly, Herc, it came on a penalty that Memo Ochoa probably should have saved. Should we change the expectations for this Mexican national team? You laughed at me. You laughed at me, Herc, when I said they could win a medal. Was that on air when I laughed at you? I laugh at you a lot. I want to know if this was on air when I laughed at you. Uh, honestly, we might have to change this because I understand it's an alternate version of the French team that we could have seen, but they handled them easily. Players that play in Ligue 1, players that play in La Liga, players that play in Serie A. Uh, this was a dominant performance. They defended well, and they're so dynamic on the break. They can hurt you 1v1 with a multiple uh, of players. You're talking about uh, Diego Linus, you're talking about Uriel Antuna, you're talking about Cordova. Different ways they can hurt you 1v1. And, and when I look at their road to a potential medal, well, okay, quarters you could face on, on Honduras, New Zealand, Romania, or South Korea, you'll take your chances against any mm-hmm. of those. That means, let's assume they get to semis. In the semis, you could second place Germany team that just ate four by Brazil, or a Spain team that just tied Egypt that doesn't look as mm-hmm. strong as we had thought. If you're Mexico, you take those chances. I think their chances of a medal just increased, absolutely. And that Spanish team you mentioned suffered a couple key injuries as well. Mingueza and Ceballos Mm -hmm. Ceballos going out in their game, so that could be significant for them. The expectations have definitely changed for Mexico, Herc. On the last show, I told you what the odds were for them to win gold medal. It was plus 3,300 or 33 to 1. Guess what it is now? Tell me. Plus 900. 9-1. to That's how significant that 4-1 win over France was to the odds makers, anyway, in terms of what the expectations are for Mexico. I think that's fair. I think that's pretty reflective. It's the best opening game besides Brazil, who's 4-2 versus Germany. I I think it opened a lot of eyes. There you go. Uh, Another player that opened eyes, and maybe not so many eyes because he's been playing very well, certainly while wearing the Mexican national team jersey of late, uh, is Diego Lainez. And one thing that I saw in this game that I loved is he's such a dominant left-footed player. But on the assist to Alexis Vega, he beats somebody going to his right and then finishes a playoff with a beautiful service for Vega, who literally just has to steer it into the net. If Diego Linus can now beat people going to his right, look out. Look out. Diego Linus is uh, in his moment. He's playing with confidence, and you can tell. And it's not just this game. You mentioned it. I think it's those past two senior appearances with Tata Martino on the full national team. By the way, he only gets there because of injury to other players. But he gets there, and he makes the most of that opportunity, and that helps his confidence, and he's playing like it. That service to the right foot, it wasn't just any finish, by the way. Uh, Alexis Vega, who's playing like a man possessed for this U23 team, Golasso, snap header with a lot of force going across the face of goal. But Diego Linus, beautiful play. He was a menace all night. This Mexican national team is very dynamic, and they've got some playmakers. Herc, one of the reasons I think we thought that France were huge favorites in this game is Gignac and Tovan, the two Tigres players with elite European resumes, not just in terms of club, but international as well, representing France in tournaments like Euros uh, and the World Cup. But, man, they were quiet. Is that down to, is that down to the to the Mexican defense? Yes. World Cup winner, Florian Tavon. World Cup winner. And he was in Eric Aguirre's pocket. His back mm. pocket. It's amazing what a little bit of belief will do. And football is about goals, and goals will give you belief. But defensively, this team was very good. They had the air. Cesar Montes on that penalty kick where he shouldn't have come in that way. Uh, but Johan Vasquez did a number on André Pierre Gignac. Eric Aguirre did a number on Florian Tavon. These are players that played in a way that were beyond their years. 
Uh, but it was collective. It was the way to defend it. And at times, it was everybody in their own half. And you're like, ah, it's just going to be a bend, don't break type of deal. But no, when they won the ball, it was everybody, everybody in a dynamic way, full speed ahead. Uh, and the outsides co combining 1v1 situations, being dangerous, showing a willingness to sacrifice and fight for each other. This is a good team right now. It is a good team. It is a good team. Let me just say this. Let me just get this out there. It feels a little bit like the World Cup in Russia. Uh -oh. Doesn't it? Doesn't Don't it? say Mexico... this is the worst France of all time. Like they said, <laughs> it was the worst Germany of all time. But you're right. Don't let this opening game be mm -hmm. deceiving because I've seen this face. I've seen the Sevi Salazar face where you're up in arms. You're, yep. you're so joyful. You're like tears, honestly, almost in tears that you're so happy. But I was also sitting next to you versus Sweden, and I saw those <laughs> tears in a different manner. Yep, yep. Things can turn around quickly in tournament football. I guess that's why we love it. You mentioned Eric Aguirre. I don't know if you caught this. Social media, though, never seems to miss anything. His jersey <laughs> had an error on it. The Mexican flag turned upside down. I mean, there are oops moments, Herx, but having the flag upside down at the Olympics, that's a big, big oops, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, if you're wondering what, uh, what brand that is, that's... Ling Ning, who was a former uh, Chinese uh, Olympic gymnast who has her own company now, who uh, is the kid sponsor for the Mexican national team. A little bit of an error, but I don't mind these kids. I was going to say dripping flag. or tripping. Let's give it a dripping or tripping designation. I think it's dripping. I think it's, it's really? cool. Yeah, I don't like the color combination of the actual jersey with the shorts and socks. But the so jersey they went green, itself. red, green last correct, night. Or, correct. Yeah, yeah, but the jersey morning. itself kind of yeah. reminds me of my old Santos jersey. I'm digging it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a drip in, I guess. I think, I think, that's, I think that's decent enough. All right, uh, enough on the Olympics. Let's turn our attention to the Gold Cup. U.S. gets Jamaica in the quarterfinals. That game to be played on Sunday. Could have been Costa Rica, Herc. Those two teams were playing for the top spot in their group. Loser got the U.S. It turns out to be Jamaica. When you first saw this matchup in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup, what was your initial reaction? You like it? Uh, I like it for us. I don't know if I like it so much for the U.S. men's national team. <laughs> <laughs> By us, do you mean the, the people in the media that just want chaos? Yes, yes, absolutely. The narrative, the storylines, everything going on. Yes, I like it for us. Uh, trap game that's what it screams to me mm. why well <laughs> i know where you're going with this sep i know how your twisted mind works this is a c team i've said it you've said it it's a c team and it's made mostly up of major league soccer players 14 of which now before the tournament started had never played a senior national team minute and they're playing against the jamaica side that i me this guy este hombre said was going to be a surprise of the gold cup with european pedigree so you're picking Jamaica. So you're picking Jamaica. Let me speak. With a goalkeeper who's <laughs> the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. Tight defensive unit with one of the best players in all of CONCACAF in Leon Bailey. This is a trap game for the U.S. Mm. men's national team. I'm saying it's a trap game. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. All right, you're calling it a trap game. If they lose, right, if worst case scenario comes down on Sunday, they go out in the quarterfinals of a Gold Cup on home soil to Jamaica, is it a failure? It will be to everybody. Mm -hmm. It will be to everybody. To the fans, to Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart, it should be a failure. To Greg Berhalter, because well, they chose the this C team. team gets, I thought the C team cut him some slack. Hold on. Hold on. Because they chose this team. And you team. just told me how great Jamaica was. Because they chose this team. Because they chose the construction of said team. Because it was their decision to go into this competition with this team. Yes, it would be a failure. Now, knowing everything I just told you about Jamaica, don't be surprised. And it shouldn't be a failure. Hmm. I'm looking at the odds for this. Uh, U.S. minus 180, so they're your favorites. Jamaica plus 500, five to one dogs. Plus uh, the U.S. not the biggest favorite, not the biggest favorite of the quarterfinal round. Uh, no surprise, that'll be Mexico. From the Jamaican perspective, Herc, let's look at this team. Um, do you fear the U.S.? And if so, where and why? Who on this U.S. team strikes fear into the hearts of the Jamaican players and coaching staff? Daryl DK, a uh, guy that should strike a bit of fear because he's so just opportunistic and he can mm. score a bunch of different types of goals and he's a handful for any defender and his ability to bring others into the game and he's chaotic and he's so raw that you still don't know what to expect of him. He's a dangerous player. James Sands and his ability to read going offensively to start plays but also put out fires to come into the midfield uh, and be that kind of you know extra midfielder when he's in that three-man back line. Uh, maybe a player like Buzio. 
They're trying to, here's the thing, Herc. You're trying to think of impact players. Yeah. The biggest impact player in this game is Leon Bailey of Jamaica. Yeah. He's like well, by you're far asking the me best. about you're asking me about if I was I gonna am, be worried if I were Jamaica. That's what I'm saying. If I'm if I'm one of the two technical staffs in this game, I bet you the US is a lot more worried about Leon Bailey. Can I tell you than something? Anybody that Jamaica's worried I think about. you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Can I tell you something? I think Jamaica is secretly happy about this. I think they mm. wanted the US men's national team. I think they were okay with not beating Costa Rica and going down this road and being on this side of the bracket, avoiding Mexico, avoiding Qatar, avoiding Costa Rica. I think they're happy here on this side. Hmm. Why do you think that? You don't think they wanted Canada? I mean, Costa Rica got Canada. That's, that's an easier draw than the U.S. Yeah, well, Canada right now is, is literally limping into their next round. I mean, they, it's, it's sad the, the amount of players they've lost this Gold Cup. They were a team to watch for me, but when you lose Alfonso Davies before the tournament starts, Jonathan Davies doesn't come, Ayo Akinola is out. Uh, it just seems like bad luck one after the other. Just everything keeps happening to Canada. It, it's sad, but they were a team to watch for me. All right, uh, as much as I hear you talk about the U.S. and Jamaica, Herc, I hear somebody with a lot of doubts as to whether the United States is going to get to the semifinals of the Gold Cup. Let's hear now from a man who I hope has fewer doubts. That's the manager in charge, Greg Berhalter, who sat down earlier today with our Ricardo Ortiz. You said last week that you need to gather information about this group of players. What have you learned about your team in this group stage? It's been fun. Um, when you think about the, the youth we have in this team and being able to see these guys against international competition and having them um, learning as well. But for us, it's about um, you know, the, the broader player pool and then seeing these guys, how they compete when, when something's on the line. And we've learned a lot, and, and the guys have been doing a good job. Now that you're in the quarterfinals, what do you need to see for your team to beat Jamaica on Sunday? So it, first and foremost, the level of competition steps up when you're in the knockout phase. And that's going to be um, really important in this whole thing, seeing how our guys can step up to this level and really compete because we know World Cup qualifying is the same level of intensity. And that's what we're going to need to bring to beat Jamaica. It's a good physical team and we're going to need to match that. And what sort of problems do you think they're, they're going to give you? I think their physicality is an issue. They, they've given a lot of teams um, you know, problems with their physicality. For us, we need to be moving the ball quickly. We need to exploit the open space. And then when it comes to dealing with the physicality in the penalty box, really embracing that and, and competing. With this young roster, um, where have you seen le leadership among the group? I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to expect um, young players who are just breaking the national team to, to take a leadership role. And I think it may be too much at times to even expect that from them. So what we're looking for is just that they continue to grow and continue to improve. And we've seen guys like James Sands, Gianluca Buzio really step up with their game and each game improve and really growing from that perspective. And I think once they get to a stable point, now you can start focusing on some leadership qualities as well. How important was it for the national team to get that important victory over Mexico last month? I think it was, it's just another step in, in what we're trying to do. And, and to validate what you do, you need to win. And um, you know, for our young team, even that group was a very young team. This group is another young group. And it, it's about how do we put ourselves in position to win? And then when we're there, how do we actually win? And so for this group, it was a great learning experience. As we move into qualifying, moments like that are going to be important. The World Cup cycle is also uh, often called a process. Where are you in the process right now? Um, so, you know, with World Cup qualifying being delayed, you know, we're about a, a year and a couple months away from the actual World Cup. And we feel like we've made a lot of progress building the team, but these next couple months are really going to start to define what this group is about. You know, the qualifying process is grueling, um, very difficult games, and for our group, our young group, to be able to deal with this, I think will go a long way. You've had a lot of different changes in formation yep. in recent games. So how do you evaluate the ability of the team to be pliable and adapt 
to uh, these different situations? So uh, the important thing for us is that the, the way we want to play, our principles won't change much, even though the formation may. And you know, for us, it's important to, to hurt the opponent and to, to play an effective way against our opponents. And whether that's in five in the back or four in the back or three up front or two up front, you know, we, we put a lot of um, emphasis on, the, on being flexible but sticking to our game model. What, was in, what has impressed you most about this Gold Cup group? Um, I, I just think the, the calmness of this group, there's a lot of expectations on them, there's a lot of pressure after, after the team winning the Nations League and now this new group has a lot of pressure to also win the Gold Cup. But I think we've been handling, the team has been handling it in a calm way. Um, we know there's pressure, but it's, for us it's about game by game, day by day, trying to improve and put yourself in position to win. And how difficult will it be, do you think, to get the 23-man roster for the World Cup qualifying? It won't be difficult because, you know, you, through, through uh, you'll have to make difficult decisions. That's, there's no question about that. But, you know, there's a lot of leeway in, in the roster. I mean, we can change players within the window. Um, you know, so for us, it's about employing a strategy where we know guys are prepared. A number of guys are prepared and then calling on them when needed you know there's suspension there's injuries you know with the national team one thing I realize is you never you very rarely have your full group together and so by playing this broader player pool giving them experience I think that's going to pay off in the long run what will it mean for this group to get another crack at a hardware at the, in the final in the Vegas it, it will be big. It will be a big accomplishment. Um, you know, when you think about the, inexper the international inexperience of this group, it would be a huge accomplishment to, to go to the final and win the Gold Cup. Great work from our Ricky Ortiz there with Greg Berhalter, the U.S. Men's National Team Manager. Herc, I got a couple things that jumped out to me. Anything from the interview that jumped out to you? Uh, his uh, reading of Jamaica and how they're a physical team. Uh, mm. I, I said it last mm -hmm. go around when they played Jamaica in Europe, when they played Switzerland, when they played Northern Ireland, their ability to defend in transition against more physical teams, they struggled with. So I see Greg Berhalter recognizes that as well. I think it's interesting. Well, I thought when he said physicality, that certainly jumped out to me. Back in the day, when was physicality ever an issue for the United States? That's I feel true. like that was, that was a strength of the U.S. men's national team. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Leon Bailey, star man for the Jamaican national team, joining us now on Football Americas. Leon, thanks for joining us here on the show. I would ask you how you're enjoying the Gold Cup, but it seems like every Gold Cup, Jamaica just goes off. What is it about this tournament that seems to bring out the best in your team? Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure being on here. But I think um, everybody has the same goal, the same the same attitude. Everybody is motivated. And that's what we didn't have in a long time. Everybody's more focused. And yeah, everybody wants to just take home that trophy back to Jamaica. Where does that come from, Leon, that renewed focus? I think um with better structure from the from the from the from the just the whole whole um organization better understanding with the players and the staff and um yeah we have a lot of quality players which also brings a totally different mindset to the, to the whole team you know leon I, I keep hearing about how jamaica are underdogs in this game versus the u.s men's national team but this u.s men's national team isn't the a team they brought down in my eyes not a b team but a c team a lot of major league soccer players left all the european players abroad uh, but this Jamaica team has been in the finals the last two of the three Gold Cup editions, and in the one time they didn't make it to the final, they were in semis. Do you feel like an underdog facing the U.S. men's national team? No, um, I don't think. I wouldn't consider myself as an underdog. But, I mean, if people think we're an underdog, 
we win this game on Sunday, then, you know, it's a total different feeling. So sometimes it's good to be an underdog sometimes because, you know, I've had a lot of experience with that. People, um, you know, doesn't think the best of, of, of you or of your team, but when you come out victorious at the end of the night, they look at you way different. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of eyes on the Jamaica national team and it would, everybody wants it to be more eyes looking at us. So it would be a great thing for them to even consider us the underdog because we are going to be victorious. You know, Leon, I look at you and I see one of the best players in CONCACAF. Where do you rank yourself among the best players in CONCACAF? Here on Football Americas, we do a CONCACAF top player, a top five, and you're in my top five. Where do you see yourself? How far up are you there? Top 30. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've Watch. never been the one who ranked myself. I just do my, my, my job on the pitch and, and let... Um, my 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 footballing speaks you know i i just do my work on the pitch and let that speak for itself at club level you've been doing that with Bayer leverkusen in the bundesliga but you're at a very young age in your career 23 years old about to turn 24 kind of a critical moment in your development do you feel ready for the for the next step in your footballing career 100 percent, i'm totally ready for the next step um i've been working hard ever since to be able to reach where I am today and I feel like I'm at an age in my life and a point in my life where I feel like I'm ready for the next step and hopefully right. we can make that happen soon. Leon, what are we talking about? Are we talking about staying in the Bundesliga? Are we talking about maybe the Premier League? Where is the next step for you? I mean, just for me, just playing at the top, the highest level and um of course, you know, doing the same thing. I feel like I need a new challenge. So anywhere really where it's a good opportunity for me to really, you know, showcase myself and work hard. Let's talk big picture CONCACAF. You know, you got to be one of those top three, maybe top three and a half teams in World Cup qualifying to get a spot at the Qatar World Cup. Do you feel like Jamaica's there, ready to make that charge? I feel like we have a very good um, good team to be able to compete. Not just competing for the World Cup, but I feel like we have a very good opportunity to reach the World Cup and also compete. We just need to, we have a lot more to work on, but I feel like, yeah, we're, we're ready to, to compete in the in the qualifiers to make it to the World Cup, yeah. Going back to this weekend, Leon, what's the number one thing Jamaica has to do to beat the U.S. men's national team on Sunday? I feel like we just have to use our strengths. And once the players understand on the day what their strengths are and we can um, execute it on the pitch, I feel like that itself will, will, will make us victorious victorious on the night because we do as I said we do have, have a great team we in the beginning we were trying to find ourselves but I feel like in the last game even though we lost the players really really played a great game and for me it was probably the best game of the tournament so far and I believe they're slowly we're slowly getting into that rhythm where we need to find and I hope that we can find that rhythm that we want to find on on, on Sunday all right, Leon Bailey, we got to let you go. Thanks so much for the time here on Football Americas. Good luck in what's left of the Gold Cup and in your upcoming season, wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Honduras against Mexico in their quarterfinal. That one will be played uh, on Saturday. Honduras, an 8-1 dog hurt in this one. A big part of that, down to the injuries. Albert Ellis, of course, uh, out for the remainder of the tournament. Romel Piotto, he got hurt as well. 
against Panama. I feel like this is the type of matchup, Herc, that if everybody was healthy for Honduras, uh, Mexico fans would be very, very nervous. But the injuries really do change the complexion of this match, don't they? Oh, they absolutely kill Honduras. Honduras is still a very difficult opponent, no matter how you slice it, because they just are for the Mexican national team. But Albert Ellis and Romelu, and Romelu Kyoto, uh, just two players that when they run at you are scary. Just in transition can hurt you. Uh, the ability to play 1v1 against this Mexican defense that isn't the strongest physically, isn't the strongest when it comes to speed, isn't the, the most tactically mm -hmm. disciplined. Yeah, sure, Mexico can probably score four on you, but Honduras uh, with the ability to do the same, especially in transition. So yeah, that's gonna hurt them. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of those games that like, no matter when Mexico and Honduras meet in a gold cup, in a knockout, it's always 0-0-1-1. Yeah. Very good chance of extra time, very good chance of penalties. I guess the one thing is, if you're a Honduras fan, you sit here and say, well, we're not likely to score against Mexico, but Mexico is probably not all that likely to score against us based on what you've seen. I think they'll um, take their chances. This is, uh, I don't want to say toothless, but this is at the moment mm -hmm. a, an offensive unit that hasn't quite found their form. Rogelio Funes Mori is a very good forward, but like any other forward around the world, he's not in his best mode right now. He's got two goals, but that's it. It's what it is. He's still dealing with a lot of pressure of what is the Mexican media, the Mexican fan base, um, not in his most confident moment on the field, and he's not the only one. Tecatito Corona has been a no-show this tournament. Hey, uh, we got into a big debate on whether Tata Martino was under pressure uh, in this tournament. I would agree that he's under pressure. I don't think that his job is at stake. You said, though, that his job is at stake. So then certainly, Herc, we would qualify going out in the quarterfinals to Honduras um, as a fracaso. Obvio, yes. Are you saying then? Yes. Are you saying then yes. that Tata Martino is coaching for his job don't, against don't Honduras? Don't even ask it. Don't even ask it. You don't, the answer is yes. Tata Martino loses to Honduras. At this stage, this Honduras, with those injuries, this Mexican national team, after everything he's done, you best bet there's a meeting come next Monday, mm. and they're deciding his future, and every single media outlet, every single fan is saying, Tata out. Hmm. Hmm. There's a meeting. There's a meeting. You didn't say that he'd be gone after that meeting, because you're not <laughs> sure. I just told you, you don't yes. believe it. You don't believe the it president in your heart of, of team or the league. You don't believe it. Federation. Um, hey. Uh, one thing that this Mexican team under Tata Martino has done, uh, they brought in a replacement, or tried at least for Chucky Lozano. He's out for the rest of the Gold Cup. Rodolfo Chucky. Pizarro is on the roster. What do you think? The right move for Mexico? The man they need to turn this oh, tournament around? Oh, man. I don't know if it's the right move. Is, is it fair to say the only move? Yeah. Yes. Okay. If, like, Diego Linus was available, you'd take him. Exactly. Diego yeah. Linus, yeah. Uriel Antuna, you'd take them over Rodolfo Pizarro at this stage. This is who you have. Now, I... I feel bad because I think Rodolfo Pizarro is a victim of what Inter Miami has become. And he's a victim of a fan base and maybe a lot of pundits having a short memory. Because I still recall the 2019 final, the Gold Cup final, U.S. versus, Mex versus Mexico. And where he was easily the best player on the field. Hmm. Easily their best player. El Balón al 20. That was the saying. Give it to number 20. And he would figure everything out. He would sort them out. And he was the one player that made them tick. And that's the reason that Tata Martino has so much faith in this player. Tons of talent. Tons of, nobody's going to say he doesn't have talent. But it's what he's been doing lately or not doing lately with Inter and in the false nine position when he has played with the Mexican national team that's really done him in. Okay, so I, I know we're not supposed to talk about what goes on in the WhatsApp group on this show, but I can say, I can say though what you told me in a phone call. We were talking about my beloved Diego Linus, and you were like, yeah. how long are we gonna wait? How long are we gonna wait right. on this guy? He's 21 years old. Hey, how old is Rodolfo Pizarro? He's 26. 27. Okay. How long are we gonna wait? This is it, right? Last chance saloon. Last chance saloon. For, for what? Because he's not gonna go to Europe at this point, not with, not with Inter Miami. I'm talking for his national team career. I'm talking yeah. for his national see, team see, career. See, this is, this, is this is where it gets tricky, Seb, because just, we just mentioned, all right, who else are you gonna pick? Because we see Efrain Alvarez at this Gold Cup, and I think in the eyes of many pundits and many, fa many fans around in the Mexican fan base, I mean, you just mentioned two guys talent. on the Olympic team. I'm sorry? You just mentioned two guys on the Olympic team as people that are better than Pisato. Different positions. Different positions. And, and that's the problem. For whatever reason, Tata Martino has confidence in Rolf Pizarro. He sees a player, and, and, when it, and you know this very well, when it comes to selecting a 23-man roster, is once I get into those spots... 18, 19, 21, 20, 21, 22, 23, 
Who do I put where? And who could play multiple positions to increase their value? Rodolfo Pizarro is one of those players. And maybe one of the few players in this Mexican pool that has that advantage. Rodolfo Pizarro, Mexico, facing Honduras on Saturday in the quarterfinals of the Gold Cup. Liga Mekis is apertura season about to start tonight. America and Querétaro will kick things off south of the border. We welcome in Mauricio Pedrosa to help us break things down. Mal, welcome back to the show. We got some burning questions here that we've got to get to as it pertains to the upcoming Mexican season. Let's start with a discussion of Los Grandes. Or I think now mm. we have to kind of almost say Los So-Called Grandes. Ouch. Let's put up Chivas. And Pumas, who do you think this season, Mao, finishes closer to the bottom of the table between these two? Um, Pumas, what's up, guys? Good to be on. Uh, Pumas, and there's a big reason for that. We all know about Chivas' struggles financially, but in the end, there's, they still have a good roster. They still have competitive players. They still have El Rey Midas, Victor Manuel Bucetich. Uh, the problem with Pumas, it's, it, just, it goes way, way deeper. They had one good player last mm. season, and that was Juan Pablo Vigón. Uh, what did they have to do? They had to ship him for Tigres because they just don't have the money to create a roster good enough to compete. I'm not saying Chivas is going to be great. I'm just saying Pumas is in a worse condition right now than Guadalajara. And it's not only for this season. I think it's for the long haul. If mm. things don't change, I just don't see how, how things are going to uh, be better for Pumas. They used to have a method, which was very good homegrown players and then three or four great foreign players adding to those homegrown uh, starters. Uh, that's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Mm, yeah. Pumas doesn't have the cantera anymore. That's what it is, right? It was that magical formula, if you will, of those homegrown players, those academy players with good foreign players, players that were like, Big-time players in Liga Mekis, not for a year or two, for a decade. Like defender of the decade type players. And then you would make good runs. You would make magical runs. You would have a fan base believing. They don't even have that. This is a mm. rabid fan base who has seen their homegrown territory dwindle, who has seen all their best players in the last few, three, four years be sold every single year because they don't have the financial uh, solvents to keep those players. They don't have the ability to go out and get new players. They have to go to MLS and get players that are fringe players uh, and, and maybe players that they didn't think they can get grooming value for, export them, and maybe something happens. This is a team that's going to fight for mid-table and below, whereas oh, Chivas is going to yeah. fight mid-table and above. So the lesser of the evils is Pumas. So these two used to be basically like the base of the national team. And we always criticize Chivas for not really doing anything for the national team anymore. They got, what, four guys on the Olympic roster? Dude, Pumas has nobody on the Olympic roster, the senior na national team. Well, like, Pumas is, Johan, is forgotten. Johan Vasquez. Jo yeah, and, and, and Johan, Johan Vasquez was one, very good one, today. But they're going to have one, to ship him as you well. Said no. he, he might play in Europe in the, not the season, but maybe the next one. But that's it. Johan yeah. Vasquez, and that's it. That's what I'm saying. You know, this was a team that in Mexico City should be pulling talent out of there like nobody's business. Let's go from Mexico City. Let's go north to Monterrey because apparently they're still spending big money there this offseason. Both Tigres and Rayados. Herc, you with your Tigres loving ways. Who spent their money better this offseason? Whoa, this is difficult because I love me some Tigres and you know that, but I think they needed to get younger and what happens? They brought a new coach because they needed to Miguel Herrera that is part of the investment, but Florian Tauban who's a World Cup winner, but we saw against Mexico, El Tri, Sub-23 Mexico, and he didn't really look like he was up to speed. And Juan Pablo Vigón, who's a very good player, but he seems like a utility player, not exactly, not exactly a difference maker. And we look at the other side of the city, and it pains me to say it, but, I mean, Esteban Andrada, Héctor Moreno, uh, Duván Vergara, Eric Aguirre, who's a fantastic player, and Joel Campbell. It just seems like they have a little bit more money right now and are being a little bit more resourceful with said dollars or pesos, if you will. So I would have to say rayados, and it hurts. Mao? Can we stop just for a second and, and just rewind this tape a minute <laughs> and, and, and stop when Hercules said, this is a tough question. This is an easy question. Oh, I said it's a tough of one for course. me. <laughs> of course, he's Rayados in Monterrey. I don't care if Kirk played it was uh, great for Tigres. Uh, I'm excited about Rayados in Monterrey. Mm. I'm excited for Javier Aguirre. He had a team last season, and he probably went like, I don't know many of these players, 
And after 17 regular season games and then La Liguilla, he probably said, oh, okay, I, I got I to gotta get rid of this one, got to get rid of this one, got to get rid of this one. And what now the front office did, you need a goalkeeper, we'll get you a world-class goalkeeper. Yeah, you need a center back, we'll get you Hector Moreno Mexican as center back. Team. Yeah. You need a forward, we bring a guy from Colombia who has been fantastic Angel for Campbell. his team. Yeah. So, and I'm, and I'm sorry, Juan Pablo Vigón. Again, we said about Pumas. That's not mm -hmm. a great investment. I worry for Utility Miguel Herrera. Player. That's a different topic. But that was an easy question, Herc. Come on. No, no. I mean, it's a difficult one for me, but, but the, you're absolutely right because not only did they have the ability to bring players in, the most important part that Tigres cannot do, they let players go. They sent players packing with good yep. money. Ake Lobe, Loba, they put him on a bow to Nashville. <laughs> I, what do you want? Great business. Great business, great business. All right, so it sounds like Rayados gets the win in that category. Let's see about Tigres when it comes to the managers. Which of these two coaches under more pressure? Miguel Herrera taking over for Tuca Ferretti at Tigres or Santiago Solari back with Club América? Mao? Again, very easy question to answer. That's El Piojo, Miguel Herrera. And there's a main reason for that. Uh, there's probably no harder job in this world than replacing a legend. And Miguel Herrera is replacing a top two, top three manager in Mexico's history in Tuca Ferretti. There's another reason for that. This is not Miguel Herrera's team. This is still Tuca Ferretti's team. As we already established, there are no new players, just Bigon and Florian Tovan. And this is a roster. This is a collection of players that were really into Tuca Ferretti's system. And Tigres, I'm sorry, and maybe Herc has a different point of view here, but Tigres wants to be appreciated as one of the grandes in the Mexican League. Well, if they're going to do that, then they're going to have to show that regardless of the manager, they're still going to be great. Of course, there's pressure for uh, Santiago Solari, but not as big as it is for Miguel Herrera. Can I ask both of you a question? Mm -hmm. Who would you, what, what club would you say is the biggest club in Mexico? America, no I mean, doubt. America, America, okay. America, obviously. Uh, and you know Santiago Solari comes from Real Madrid, so he's got that pedigree, mm -hmm. so there's well, like more pressure now. And you know he already said he wants to go back to well, Europe. And you I know that America you, doesn't have any money to spend. And you know that it's Club America. It's El Real Madrid de Latino America, as Mauricio Pedrosa has said time and time again. Miguel Herrera has this excuse that Mao just said, that's not my team. Hold on, give me a chance to build my team. This is still Tuca's team. This is a team of the decade that's only getting older and it's on its last leg. So of course the answer is Santiago Solari, please. Yeah, what about the Piojo honeymoon, right? There's exactly. gotta be like some honeymoon effect there. Solari, he's always under pressure. Mao, what happened to the exigencia? Aren't we America yeah. fans here? Don't we need to demand yes. Solari deliver <laughs> <said> results? Yes. <laughs> no doubt. That's why I said he's also under pressure, but I'm very, very, sur not surprised. I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that Hercules is giving Miguel Herrera and Tigres a whole pass for this season. <laughs> he's already telling us. He's already telling us they're You're not going to be good enough. Remember America these words. Santiago Remember these words. Pass. doesn't believe in this roster. So oh he believes they're, they're, there's no pressure for them because they're not good enough. Remember those words in three or four months' time. All right, let's move, move on to our next topic. Better team in Mexico City. They share a stadium. America <laughs> or Cruz Azul. Who's going to have a better season this time around, Herc? I, I, I don't know how you cannot say it's Cruz Azul. They've lost... Zero! And they were the most dominant team last season. You know how they reinforced themselves? They had the possibility to lose numerous players, impact players, and they re-signed them all. The only thing that hurts them, about maybe a few hours ago, their mm -hmm. starting goalkeeper, who's already 40, what? Two years old, 40, yeah. <laughs> 42 years young, I should say, injured out a couple months. That's going to hurt. If Sebastián Jurado can't be the goalkeeper who a lot of people, including Mauricio Pedrosa, thinks he can be, they will struggle. If he can, tick-tock. This bomb keeps on going. El tren keeps on churning. And this guy, el maquinista numero uno right here, who says he's an Americanista, but he drives the train. He's the conductor for la máquina. We'll keep smiling. Mao, tell me Herc is wrong. Tell me he's wrong. Can I just not answer this question? <laughs> I don't think, here, here's why. I don't think there's a right answer. Yes, Cruz Azul looks like the better team. They are the champions. And even before the pandemic, they were already better yeah. than Club America. Remember that the last game before the mm -hmm. pandemic hit everyone, Cruz Azul beat America. And we all said, 
All right, we're not gonna have a conclusion to this tournament, but clearly Cruz Azul is the better team. I believe under Juan Reynoso, they took this roster to a different level. He gave them confidence. Uh, we completely forgot about Cruz Azulear. That, that word doesn't exist anymore. And they have what I believe was the MVP of the season, Luis Romo. He didn't yeah. win that award. Cabecita Rodriguez won that award. Regardless, this is a very complete team. Now, uh, ESPN Deportes' very own Leon Lecanda, who's very close as a reporter to the club, he posted on Twitter a couple of hours ago, uh, Juan Reynoso might have to start the season without seven starting players mm. for different reasons. And we all know how the Mexican League works. You can be fine if you're not good enough in the first four or five weeks. But after that, you need to pick up the pace. And I'm very curious to see if Cruz Azul is going to be able to do it. All right. Are they going to be able to do it, Mao? Do you think this team, after not winning for 24 years, is capable of a repeat? We know everything that comes with Mexican soccer. We know about Campionitis, taking all that into account. Can Cruz Azul really do it back to back? Yes, sir. I don't know if you guys hear that as well. Hold on. Do, do, do you hear? Is that a choo-choo? Is that a choo-choo <laughs> that I hear? From the Americanista. The it, it is. No, the no, Machina is coming again. <laughs> uh, you guys, this is going to be a dynasty. Not only have they just won wow. the league, they won Campeón de Campeones. And as Herc already Nobody established. Nobody celebrates Campeón de Campeones. This is going to be, when, when Liguilla time comes, this is going to be the, sa the very same team that went 13 games on a winning streak, unbeaten for most of the season. And once you get that continuity, uh, there's, there's no other answer than Cruz Azul is going to be champion again. And the dynasty is going to be now the conversation among every said, single soccer pundit in Mexico. He said campeón de campeones. Uh, campeones Cup. More prestige exclusively no, on ESPN. Get out. No, come on. <laughs> All right, we will uh, leave it there. This segment has traumatized me enough thinking about uh, Cruz Azul repeating as champions of Liga MX. Speaking of Liga MX, speaking of Liga MX, we've got action now for you on not just ESPN Deportes, but on ESPN Plus uh, as well. We talked about them a lot in that segment. Rayados against Pumas. That one on the 31st of July. That's next Saturday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time start. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another edition of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Herc, we start with the good. New England, 5-0 winners over Inter-Miami. They're first in the Eastern Conference. They're first in the Supporter Shield. And Carles Gil now has 12 assists on the season. He leads the league. We're not even at All-Star break. My man's got 12 assists, and you had the goal. You had the goal to put Nani in, in your MVP vote on the East. You said Nani over this man? This man's a problem. The only person that could rival Raul Rui Diaz. 26 assists, Herc, is the all-time record in Major League Soccer. Carlos Valderrama back in 2000. He might have a shot at it. He might have a shot he's at it. We're not quite shot. halfway there. Uh, and he's got 12 assists already. Here's the bad. Something that can really only hurt be described as a fantastic flop. Lucho Acosta, <laughs> FC Cincinnati, Atlanta United. <laughs> he hit me! He hit me! Uh, wow. Um, that was a, ooh, um, no, I got nothing, Seb. This disciplinary committee might, might have something. I mean, this is simulation, right? If you want to get this out of the game, you got to punish it. Yeah, you have to. Uh, if, you know what happened after this? He scores a golazo. He does score a golazo. It's like you're in our rundown looking ahead towards the, uh, towards the end of the segment. Is I love there? Lucho. Right. I will always see Lucho gliding down the field at Audi Field next to Wayne Rooney for the few months of magic that uh, we had there in late 2018. All right, let's get to the ugly. Inter-Miami, the other side of that game against New England, Herc, a 5-0 loss, a 5-0 loss at home. That is now six 
straight defeats for Miami. They're last in the Eastern Conference. They're last in the league. Phil Neville before the match said it was, quote, now or never for Inter-Miami. So uh, where does that leave us then if they lost 5 nothing when it was now or never? Uh, they're, they're not last in everything. They're first in payroll. They pay people. They pay that team to play football. You won't believe it from watching them, but they pay these people. They actually do. Uh, they don't look happy. They don't look like a team that even likes being around each hmm. other. You look at Iguain on the field, when Pizarro doesn't pass in the ball, when Robinson doesn't pass in the ball, when anybody else doesn't pass in the ball, hands are up in the air, it's in disgust. 13 goals allowed, just one scored. Look, our friend Andrew Weeby on MLSsoccer.com points this out. 0.67 points per game and a minus 13 goal differential are both dead last in the league. I don't know how this man, Phil Neville, still has a job. I don't know mm. how he got this job. All right, we will discuss that in just a second, whether he should have it and how long he should hold on to it. But first, let's hear from the man himself, this after the defeat to the New England Revolution. It's probably the, uh, probably the lowest, uh, lowest in terms of sort of like my feelings after a defeat that I've had since uh, I came to this football club and we've had some disappointments. I know the consequences, that's, that's no problem to me because all I want is for this team and this football club to succeed. We're doing everything in our power to do that. We just need better performances on the field. And, and with, that, with that comes responsibility and accountability. And, and, and for me, I've got, got great responsibility and I'm accountable for everything that I do. And we're on a run at the moment that puts me under pressure. But that's what football management's all about. Herc, more than any other season in MLS history, we got clubs that are willing to fire their managers early, mid-season yeah. this year in MLS. Is it time for Inter-Miami to pull the plug on Phil Neville? Absolutely, especially after everything that Inter-Miami's gone through. They went through a cheating scandal. They are a team Not that Phil Neville's fault, not Phil Neville's no, fault. I'm talking about the club. They are a team that tried to bend the rules in their favor and got caught. After all that, and now a team that tries to bend the rules and can't even do it the right way and is terrible on the field, about talks about nepotism and how this coach got his job, got his shot, and is here, clearly not working, clearly not sending a message that is conducive to these players. These players aren't responding. It's time to move on. Football tells you when it's time to go. It's time to go, Phil. Yeah, fair enough. Look, the thing with you fire a coach is you got to replace him. And right now, I wonder, honestly, honestly, Herc, how attractive is the inner Miami job? Given all the things that you just talked about, given all the realities of the future of that organization, how attractive is it? I'm sorry. How attractive is Miami? Oh, I'm sorry, Fort Lauderdale. How attractive yeah. is Florida? This is a very attractive job. I don't care how you want to slice it and say that they're a train wreck. This is still Miami. This is still a high-profile job within this league. They're barely in this league, and these, this fan base, the people that follow this league, the, the ownership, everything about this screams, look at me, look at me. Of course this is attractive. All right, we got uh, just a few minutes here left on the show. Let's get to this top goals from the midweek. I think, did we dig five out this time? Yes, we did. We found five goals. First, uh, Michael Chang Go ahead, against the Galaxy for RSL. Oh, it's a sneaky, he's a sneaky one. That's a sneaky little finish. If I'm the goalkeeper, I'm thinking he's going far post the whole time. And look, right, is it in between the legs? Yes, sir. Nice little tidy finish. Jonathan Bond, pick it out of your net. Bamakuba. number five. What about number four? We got, Herc, we got a goalie assist. You gotta love this. A goalie assist to Ismail Tajori Shradi of New York City no, FC, no, and he no, finishes no, the work no. against Montreal. I don't know who's worse. I don't know who's worse here. The center back for allowing this ball to bounce or the goalkeeper for coming out and being in no man's land. You come out, you get that ball. You get that. You pick it up or you pick it out of your net. Well, option number two, clearly, uh, pick it out of your net. Number three, Portland beating LAFC late. Felipe Mora. Portland does a good job of finding value when it's nines. They're just, just overall. It, it, I know this felt good for Giovanni Savarese. They've got a little rivalry going on with LAFC. Uh, Bob Bradley can say what he wants about turf, and I agree with them. It is terrible to play on. 
but you cannot get... Bob Bradley get, blamed the turf. You cannot get scored on... Bob Bradley the turf for this loss. 93rd oh my minutes. goodness. You cannot get scored oh on 93rd goodness. minutes. You're taking it wow. out of context. Pure excuses. Lost, Pure excuses. You got to play. You got to play where you got to play. Lost. Number two, Lucho, you mentioned it, took a dive, but uh, then totally redeems himself. This is a dirty finish. You should expect the touch. You know he wants to go to the right foot, but the ability to just kind of stop using the defender is like momentum against him. And then, ah, oh, far post. No Brad Guzan, no problem. No problem indeed. That game finished 1-1 uh, between FC Cincinnati and Atlanta United. At number one, Herc, we're going Victor Vasquez. If Victor Vasquez is anywhere near his Toronto FC level, I'm talking 2017 season level, anywhere near for the LA Galaxy, they're playoff bound and Javier Hernandez is scoring a bunch of goals. This was just nasty. Beautiful finish. Number one on our top five from the midweek in Major League Soccer, Victor Vasquez of the LA Galaxy against RSL. Major League Soccer on your TVs on Saturday on ABC. It's Atlanta United against Columbus Crew. Should be a very interesting game as Atlanta United moves on past the Gabriel Heinze era. One more thing, Herc, before we get out of here, run it back, USL star, our guy Robbie Cristo of North Carolina FC. <laughs> you got this in your bag, Herc. <laughs> Not like that. Look, he says he saw him. My man said he saw him, back to goal. Use some strength, turn, and then volleys it. I see you, I see you, keeper. Was it a handball? Oh, where's the VAR? Wow, love it, love it. North Carolina FC against the Richmond Strikers. All right, that's it for this episode of Football Americas. Herc, what you wearing? Venezia, you got a new fan. What are you wearing? Maryland Bobcats FC, the glitch kit, baby. We are back on Monday talking Olympics, talking Gold Cup, and everything else. We'll see you then here on ESPN+. Plus. Football Americas is live! <laughs>